for me personally, I wanted selfishly a place that I felt like I belonged. And I think that's so important, that feeling of belonging, that feeling of community. And I know so many people don't have that. So many folks live in various parts of the country where maybe they are the only, either the mixed, only the mixed person in their community, their, their uh, city, or they're the only Asian person in their small little town. And I wanted a space where people can go easily and connect with other like-minded individuals where they can feel seen and heard. And that's why I think it was so important to start this. Also, I want people to realize that you don't have to pick a side. You don't have to pick, oh, I'm just Asian or I'm just white or I'm just black or I'm just uh, Latinx or, or whatever your, your mix is. You can be both. Hi, my name's Drew Swenson, and I helped edit today's episode. Stereotypes don't tell the whole story. I'm your host, Annie Prafke, and you're listening to Misfits, a podcast featuring discussions with people who felt like black sheep in their communities because of their identity. Chester Iwata is a bi-coastal actor based in New York City. She is also the editor-in-chief of Mixed Asian Media, an online media platform created by multiracial Asian and Pacific Islanders that strives to build community and spark conversations around mixed-race Asian identities. She's also the director of Mixed Asian Media Fest, an annual festival featuring events and performances that celebrate mixed Asian and Pacific Islanders through the creative lens. Today, Alex and I talk about navigating a media industry that left little room for mixed-race people and the exciting ways it's beginning to change. We also dive into why Alex started Mixed Asian Media in the first place and the importance of creating space for mixed-race Asian people. So today we have Alex Chester on. Thanks for joining us today, Thank Alex. Thank you so much for having me, Annie. And so I know that you also modeled a lot, especially when you were younger. Yes, I did. I started off in the industry as a child model, did a bunch of campaigns starting at age five all the way till I was 13. And then my agents went, hmm, 
you haven't grown. You're still way too short to pursue this any further. And that's when my modeling career ended. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, and in our initial conversation, you had said something that I thought was very interesting, and that it's that a lot of uh, mixed race Asian kids go into modeling, or that's like kind of the default career. And I wanted to hear more about that. Yeah, um, especially when I was doing it, it was really the only outlet that would accept a mixed race kid. Because on TV and film, you didn't fit into a family situation. Like, God forbid, we have a mixed family. Whoa, right? But that was unheard of back then. So really, the only outlet was modeling. Luckily for me, I was able to pursue that and also do theater. And I did some TV and commercials, but it was really, really hard TV and commercials to break into. Because constantly, I was being told by casting, oh, we love you, you're great, but you know, you just don't fit the family situation. Or or one of the, the, the best feedbacks I got was, you know, you're just too exotic. You would, it's not going to work with our white lead. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. So really uh, modeling was a great pathway into the entertainment industry for me. And I really loved it growing up. I thought it was so much fun getting to wear different clothing. And I was such a ham. God, looking back, I was like, oh, that's cringeworthy. <laughs> How like, you know, not camera shy I was. Yeah, and it, it sucked. I was really sad that I couldn't pursue it any further because five foot two is just way too short to be a you know runway model or model model. Yeah, uh, and I'm curious when you say uh, that a lot of mixed race kids go into modeling. Are we talking specifically about biracial, like white and Asian kids, or were there mixed Asians of other ethnicities that were accepted into the modeling um, industry as well? When I was a child, it was I was really the only. Asian kid even on set. Like looking back, if you look through my portfolio, it was me and white kids. Or we had biracial, meaning um, black and white children on set. But there was no uh, full Asian kids with me. I was the Asian kid. And I did like a, a huge campaign for this Japanese department store. And then I also did another campaign for this apparently a, a big deal rice cooker as well when I was a child. So I was considered Asian and not even really uh, biracial in the modeling industry. Yeah, that's also interesting. So it, it seems like you did a lot of uh, modeling for like Asian companies yeah. or products that were tagged as Asian. And then did they not want to hire full Asians? No, I, don't either? Know. I always thought it was uh, they wanted to come out here for a vacation because a lot of times they would shoot in San Diego. So I figured like, it was partially, we're going to go to San Diego and have a vacation. And I, there just also wasn't that many kids of color uh, working then because the there wasn't enough work. And there's, I mean, there still isn't enough work, but even then it was even way more slim. And then once you became known within the industry, groups just started requesting you through your agents. So a lot of times I didn't even have to go to an audition. They just would request me because they knew I had, I would get the job done and I, I was easy to work with. And I, I'm also curious on, on these sets, were there other Asian boys at all? Because I think that's also, you know, I think there's kind of a fetish around yeah. Asian girls, Asian women, but it's kind of a different thing around. Yeah, boys. no, I think maybe I did one thing where I had a brother and he was full Asian, but otherwise, no, I like a lot of times I really was the only person of color on set. Wow. Yeah. And and how, like what, uh, what year was this roughly or what year? Oh, gosh, early 90s. Yeah. So not, I mean, a while, while ago, ago, but not terribly yeah. long ago. 
And so you've also talked about, um, you know, not getting hired for acting jobs because you were mixed and you were seen as either too exotic or not fitting into the family situation. Do you have any, I guess, specific uh, stories oh, of yeah. that or examples that really stick out? Sure. Um, so I was up for, a, I don't know if I should name the TV shows or not, but I was up for very well-known TV shows for Disney uh, and Nickelodeon. And I was at the point where I was having my contract negotiated with my agents. Like they were, it was, I thought it was going to happen because I had a contract coming up and I was at my final audition and everyone was in the room. I mean, everyone. And I thought it went really well. And then like a couple days later, the, I got the news that I did not get the part because they just didn't know how I would fit in. It, it wasn't going to work. I couldn't fit into this family. Because back then they didn't, they didn't have the vision or the guts to take that step. I mean, now things have changed, which is wonderful. Another time was up for another major TV show. And they told me that that was when they told me that I was too exotic next to the white lead and I would draw focus. Oh, dang. I'm sorry that, sorry that happened to you. That's a hard thing. Yeah, it was, it was hard, you know, it really makes for a lot of identity crisis and, you know, try to be more Asian to fit in. Like I dyed my hair black and then, you know, agents were like, well, what if you maybe try to lighten up your hair and go a little more blonde and, and, and maybe you could pass more white. I mean, also back then I was going in for like Latinx roles, which I mean, obviously I would never do that now, but that was, oh, you look like you could pass for Latinx. So we're going to, you're going to go out for that role. Like I said, there was no such thing as like an actual biracial or mixed part. And now there is. So things have changed. Growing up, then, were you concerned that you weren't going to make it in the acting industry because just there wasn't a space? Oh, for you? yeah. I mean, absolutely. But I like a challenge, I guess. And this really has always been my passion. And I just love performing so much. I, I've definitely, with therapy and just age and, and experience, have taken a step back and looked at my different paths that I can take. And I, that's kind of why I created Mixed Asian Media, because I was fed up not seeing representation in the mainstream media. So I definitely believe in creating your own path and forging ahead that way, because if you don't see it, make it. Absolutely. And, and you said you see things as much better now. I'm curious what, uh, if there's certain uh, like actors or characters that have been written that are really inspiring to you who are written as like well drawn out, complex mixed characters. Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely uh, Pen15. That that TV show, I think it's so brilliant. I, I don't know if you've seen it. It's just so brilliantly done. I have the best comedy I've ever seen. And Maya, who is half Japanese, they they talk about her experience within the show. And it's, I mean, I've had to pause the TV a few times and be like, okay, just breathe. Don't have like a mental breakdown watching this because it's just so triggering and hits home just talking about not fitting in and not feeling pretty and, and just where do you, you're not Japanese enough. You're not white enough. Who are you then? So it really talks a lot about that. Um, we covered the new Doogie Hauser reboot for Disney plus, And that was really exciting because it is a biracial mixed family on screen. And the dad is mixed Hawaiian Chinese. And that's so freaking cool. Like you usually always see a uh, white dad and, and, Asian mother, but this time it's the reverse. And that's how I grew up. My dad was Japanese. 
So that was really, really awesome. You know, Jessica Henwick comes to mind. She's really been, you know, a driving force. Uh, let's see. I mean, we've interviewed so many and, and they really are paving the path and just fighting the good fight for everyone. Yeah, that's wonderful to hear. Uh, and and how do you think the media industry, as so you can talk about modeling, acting, uh, the TV industry, anything, how do you think that we could go farther in terms of representation and maybe specifically with uh, mixed race identities? On one hand, I want to see more stories diving into what it means to be mixed and the nuances around it. But I also don't want to see that the drive, that's the driving force of the narrative. Because after a while, it's like, okay, we get it. You don't belong. You don't fit in. What next? What's after that? And I love seeing stories where you just get to be a human and have human stories and human connections. So I really just think it Hollywood and the power is to be in the gatekeepers just to have need to have more of an open mind and willing to ca- cast people outside of the box and willing to look at the world in naughty white lens. Just because, you know, the world is changing in a hundred years, everyone's going to be mixed. There was, I think it was on the National Geographic, a, a cover photo that was like, yeah, I and I was like, like, yes, this is what's going to happen. The future is mixed. And eventually it's just going to become the norm. And it won't be the stories of, oh, my God, I don't fit in. Where do I belong? And it'll just be stories, just human connections. And I just would like to see more of that. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, because in the examples I can think of where there are mixed and it's usually a, a biracial, it's usually white and, yeah. and Asian right? characters. Uh, it is like the whole thing seems to be kind of just this, oh, I, I can't fit in anywhere. And this tragic figure. Yeah. There's no space for me. Uh, and I, I think the one just example that pops to mind where I think they actually did a pretty good job. I don't know if you've seen the Netflix. It's like a teen comedy to all the boys yes. that ever loved yes. before. Yeah. And I think they did actually a pretty good job where they address her biracial identity. Like it's important to the character, but it's definitely not the driving they did do a good uh, story. That. Yeah, they really Netflix is um, taking some amazing initiative, especially for the BIPOC community and the Asian community, I have to say. They've created a whole new branch uh, in different departments specifically to address the needs of these communities. And it's wonderful to see. So bravo to them. So I want to talk a little bit now about uh, mixed Asian media. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, your organization and how it got Sure. Started? So we started off in 2017 as Hoppa Mag. And it was an online magazine dedicated to the mixed API experience through the mixed API lens. So all the authors of the articles and interviews were all of mixed heritage, of specifically mixed API heritage. Um, it, last year in 2020, we, not last year, oh my God, what year are we in? We're in 2022. So two years ago, I guess, uh, we were listed as one of three online magazines in the Nielsen Consumer Report on Asian Americans. And that just like skyrocketed us. We suddenly had much more clout, for lack of a better word. And because of that, we started working of just doing more. And in a way, yeah, it was awful 2020. All of us were out of work. But because of that, we, my entire staff and I, we were able to really dedicate so much time to the magazine. And because of that, we decided to rebrand to Mixed Asian Media in uh, 2021 of May in order to better serve the mixed Asian community, specifically because the word hapa is an indigenous Hawaiian term. And a lot of folks that do use the word don't necessarily know the history of the word and the colonization around the word. And we wanted to be super respectful to our indigenous native Hawaiian friends. 
So we decided to transform to Mixed Asia Media to better serve the community, make people feel more included, because that's really what we are. We are community-based first, more than anything else. So we are also we also launched a Mixed Asia Media Fest last year, which was a five-day online virtual festival. We had over 100 speakers, over 60 programs, over 200 attendees, and we made 1.1 million reach on the internet, which is, I thought, pretty pretty cool for the first time. Yeah, pretty good. pretty good, right? <laughs> so it's just we wanted to have a celebration. We want to have a platform to celebrate the mixed stories, to talk about what it means to be mixed Asian and to unpack the traumas so we can maybe move past that as a community and start to work on what it really means to be mixed at the core. I think it's a superpower in order to see both sides, to be to belong to different two different cultures and creeds. It really is a superpower, and I really want the community to be able to embrace that. So that's kind of mixed Asia media in a nutshell. Um, we're not necessarily dropping magazine issues anymore. We're moving away from that and starting to drop articles and interviews as they become available. A lot of times PR companies reach out to us. And in the past, we've had to turn down some really cool things just because it didn't fall within our issues of when they were being launched. And now with this rolling basis, we can actually better accommodate PR companies, better accommodate the community. So if someone has something that's more time sensitive, we can go, yes, we can get this out when you want it. Right. And I want to talk a little bit more about why you think it's important to have, I mean, it's uh, representation is always important, but why specifically the mixed Asian representation? Why was it important for you to start a magazine that focused specifically on these stories? For me personally, I wanted selfishly a place that I felt like I belonged. And I think that's so important, that feeling of belonging, that feeling of community. And I know so many people don't have that. So many folks live in various parts of the country where maybe they are the only, either the mixed, only the mixed person in their community, their, their uh, city, or they're the only Asian person in their small little town. And I wanted a space where people can go easily and connect with other like-minded individuals where they can feel seen and heard. And that's why I think it was so important to start this. Also, I want people to realize that you don't have to pick a side. You don't have to pick, oh, I'm just Asian or I'm just white or I'm just black or I'm just uh, Latinx or, or whatever your, your mix is. You can be both. And it can change on the daily basis. And I, I think that's also very important for other mixed individuals to know that you don't your identity is your identity. And it can be whatever you want it to be. And no one can tell you that you're not Asian enough, you're not white enough. Two halves make a whole. And no matter what, you're a whole. And so that's Yeah, I love thanks. that. Yeah. I think it's great to have that space. Um, and that it also focuses on kind of that empowerment piece too. That again, like we talked about, it's not just this thing where you can't fit into either space. It's like really creating a community for people to have the power to identity, identify how they want to, to identify. Yeah. You know, especially, especially during all the hate crimes that were happening to our API brothers and sisters, there was a real need for this mixed space for mixed Asians because so many folks felt they couldn't speak out that they would it wouldn't be wanted it wouldn't be needed or and and they couldn't express their fears in a in a full asian setting because they're mixed so i think it was really important to provide the space for folks to feel safe to express their fears to express what they needed 
Right. And was uh, mixed Asian media involved with the Stop Asian Hate movement in any ways? And was there any pushback from the Asian community? About Luckily, that? there was no pushback. I think everyone was just so happy to to have everyone coming together to support the Stop Asian Hate Hate. So we actually, during AAPI and H Heritage Month, it's such a mouthful, uh, in May really? last year, we partnered with Loving Day, which is another amazing organization that came about to celebrate Loving Day, Loving versus Virginia, which is why uh, mixed marriages happen now. It's legal. Uh, so we partnered with Loving Day, Lunar Asian Jews, which is an Asian Jewish project and, and community, and Blasian Project, which is a Black and Asian community. And so we partnered with them to create space during that time for the mixed Asian community to talk about how they can be an activist, how they can help, how they can march, how they can protect themselves. Uh, so we did definitely, we, we partnered and we tried to give voice for the mixed community during that time. I mean, it's, it's still ongoing. It hasn't ended. Right. It never ends. <laughs> for the future of mixed Asian media, where do you see it going or future projects that you hope to get involved in? MAMFest 2022. So that's already in the works. We are talking with other various groups for partnerships, and I'm really excited for the future with that. I would love for my amazing group of volunteers to be able to get paid. We are an all-volunteer staff, and they have been working at this almost five years now, nonstop, and they deserve health benefits and everything. And sadly, I can't provide that on my own. So I would love sponsorships and I would love for Mixed Asian Media to be the main platform for Mixed API Voices. That's wonderful. And where can someone go to find out more about Mixed Asian Media? Or maybe if they want to get involved, where would they go? Yeah. So if you want to find out more, you can go to our website, mixedasianmedia.com. Find us on social media at Mixed Asian Media. If you want to learn about Mixed Asian Media Fest, you can go to at ma'am uh, underscore fest on Instagram. If you want to pitch an idea, if you want to work with us, collaborate with us, email at info at mixedasianmedia.com. Okay, wonderful. Well, I think that's all I have for you for now, Alex, unless there's anything else you wanted to add closing. No, up. just thank you so much for, for this space to talk about the works I'm doing. I appreciate it. Wonderful. And thank you for all the work you do too and for coming on the show. Thank you. Quick update on Mixed Asian Media Fest 2022. It's actually happening this week, Wednesday, September 14th through Sunday, September 18th. There will be in-person events at Prime Produce in New York City, as well as virtual options for those of us who cannot make it to New York City this year. You can expect to see panels, discussions, networking, and performance in film, theater, dance, and much, much more. Use the code MAMF15 to get $15 off the all-access pass at www.mamf.eventbrite.com. Again, the code is MAMF15. Details and tickets can also be found at mixedasianmedia.com fest. Thank you for listening to Misfits. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Please follow us on Twitter at ACXPMisfits 
and on Instagram at ACXPMisfits, where you can also send us a message with ideas for the show or let us know if you or anyone you know would like to come on as a guest. We'd love to have you. Special thanks to Drew Swenson, who edited today's episode. You may also have noticed that the theme music is different. That is thanks to Gabe Bordunker, who wrote us the new beats that you're listening to right now. Drew and Gabe are also in a band called Hawthorne Park, which is on Apple Music and Spotify. You should definitely check them out.